We're going to today talk about running from God. Thank you for that great song. Yes, thank God for His grace. It's got a hold on me. Running from God. Our subtitle, I think, maybe is even uh, more uh, interesting, and that is, is, how's that working out for you? Anybody that runs from God, you'll find out it doesn't work. Now, folks, we run a lot. We get up in the morning, we say, we got to run to work, or we're going to run to the gym, or run down to the Starbucks and get a coffee. Or maybe we're at work and we say, oh, i got to run home for a minute. We run a lot. In fact, we run so much, we even have little watches that tell us how much we run. And they tell us that you have to have at least 5,000 steps a day. Many Americans do more than that. But tragically, we sometimes run from God. Now, we're going to tell the story this morning, a familiar story of Pastor Jonah, a man of God a good man. But this man got to a point where he just simply did not want to do what God wanted him to do. And so he became a man on the run. He was a runner. (laughs) Instead of a stayer, instead of a fighter, he was a runner. We find lots of people running from God. Now, maybe you can identify with Jonah. I know I can. There have been things God's wanted me to do. I just didn't want to do. And if that's the case this morning, if you're like I have been at times in my life, then you're a runner also. I read a story recently about a boy who ran by a man who was standing on a curb. Five minutes later, the same boy rushed by again. A half a dozen times, at least, this boy ran by this man standing there. Finally, the man stopped him and said, what in the world is going on, Sonny? What is the rush? The boy looked indignantly at the man and shouted, I'm running away from home. He said, well, that's that's not a good thing, but why have you come around the block at least five different times? He said, my mom won't let me cross the street. (laughs) Well, you know what? Running from God is equally silly. It really is. Many people have thought they could run from God when they find out they're brought in by his commands and by his laws. Maybe you've never run from God, but you've wanted to. Others have run from God, maybe not physically, but in their heart. There are some who have perhaps gone to church their entire life. Just a little bit of that ring out, please. There's others who have uh, their entire life thought that maybe they are, uh, you know, this, and God says, no, I want you to be this. Some have been raised in a Christian home saying, you know, I'm just tired. I, I, this is, Christian life is a drag. It's boring. I just want to do what I want to do. The question we asked this morning is, in any of those cases, whether we're still in church, our heart's running, whether we're actually thinking about busting out and running away, or perhaps this is a time you've just come back after years of running away. The truth is, running from God never works out. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, running from God. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you this morning for the great truths already. Thank you for the sweet fellowship, the wonderful fun worshiping you, the great announcements, Lord. Just a sweet fellowship with each other. It's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that you would instruct us today. And Lord, sitting in these chairs tonight are people like I am, Lord, that have run from you at times. Others perhaps are on the run right now. Oh, God, speak to them. 
I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are a whole lot of wonderful Bible characters in Scripture. And there's one thing about God is He describes who they are. God never pulls any punches. He gives us their strengths, but He also gives us their weaknesses. As one famous um, politician said when someone was about to paint him, paint his portrait, he said, paint me warts and all. (laughs) And that's what God does. When God paints our portraits, He paints it warts and all. He certainly does it with these Bible characters. And so we're going to look at the, into the book of Jonah this morning, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah perhaps is the, one of the greatest illustrations, if not the best illustration, of what not to do in the Christian life. Jonah, his very name means dove, symbolic of the fact that God had placed a calling on his life to be a messenger, a dove to wing out a message, a message of peace. Let me give you a little background here. The time in Jonah chapter 1 is about eight centuries before the time of Christ. It is a time when at least geographically, Israel was as large as it will ever be. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the boundaries of Israel were full. But uh, because of their success, they drew the attention of neighboring countries. The Assyrians decided that they were going to attack Israel guerrilla warfare. Assyria today is Iraq and Iran. You know, when I was reading and studying that this week, I thought, you know, isn't it amazing? 3,000 years have passed since this passage took place, and yet they're still doing the same thing. They are, they are wicked people from this regime that are trying to destroy Israel still today. Well, at this critical juncture in time, God called Jonah. Now, we don't know very many, much about him. We know his name. We know his father's name and nothing more. Now, let's go to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. We know his name. We know his dad's name. That's it. We have nothing else to know about this fellow. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Preach. I want you to preach against their sin. <laughs> That's an unpopular thing to say. Preach against sin, really? Because their wickedness is coming up before me. Literally, their wickedness, their sin, their evil is stinking up heaven. And he said, I'm tired of it. Now, Assyria. Assyria is large. Nineveh, the capital city, was especially large. In fact, maybe the largest city in the world at that time. It took three days to get from one side of the city to the other. It was built on the east bank of the mighty Tigris River. Very advanced culturally, but people knew it and they were arrogant because of it. They were violent. They were immoral. They were idolatrous. They were nasty, nasty people. I'm telling you, this was just one bad group of people. And so God says to Pastor Noah, or excuse me, Pastor Jonah, um, he says to him, he says, I want you to arise, I want you to go, and I want you to preach. By the way, a pretty good strategy for ministry today. Arise, go, and preach. But uh, Jonah said, uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm, 
for whatever reason, if he was tired, if he was fearful, whatever the case was, he said, I am, I'm not going to do it. I'm just, I'm done with this. And so he runs, or at least he tries to run. Now, as we go through this passage this morning, I just want to give you an upfront. And that's, here's the upfront. I'm going to lay it pretty hard on Jonah. Now, I'm not one of those preachers that criticizes just about every Bible character. I don't feel capable or worthy because many times I think they're misunderstood. But I'm going to lay it pretty hard on Jonah this morning. But I'm doing it because I'm Jonah. (laughs) And I'm going to be preaching to myself this morning. And also, I want you to know that I'm preaching to you. And if you say when the message ends, I don't know about that pastor, he was preaching to me this morning, I want you to know you're right, I'm preaching to you. Because we've all been Jonas at one time or another. And I think sometimes we need a wake-up call. We just need to say, Jonah, come on now, get over this. Why is running from God a bad idea? Well, in chapter 1, I see at least four reasons why running from God is a bad idea. Running from God is, first of all, faithless. It is just a sign that we have just walked away. We've lost our faith. Let's read verse 3 together. In fact, why don't you read it with me so we can participate here in the message together. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, ready, begin. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's a runner. Here he is. He is running. And if there was no other reason why it's a bad idea, certainly we see this one. It is a faithless act. Notice what it says. It says he flees or he runs. Now, why is Jonah running? Well, from a human standpoint, from a fleshly standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, I think we can at least understand why he might want to run. These were the enemy of Israel. And it wasn't like God said, okay, I want you to go to Jerusalem in the safety of your own country. And if you find an Assyrian there, I want you to engage him in a personal conversation. No, He said, I want you to leave the confines of our country. I want you to go to a foreign country, but not just a foreign country, a foreign country that they are really in war with. Maybe it was not declared or not, but it was certainly at war. They had a terrible history for their violence. They were some bad people. So from an earthly standpoint, for God to ask Pastor Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh, I think there was just a fear factor. But I think it reminds us of something. When fear comes in, faith goes out. Always a reminder. When I let fear crop up inside of me, now I'm not talking about a healthy caution, but I'm talking about fear. That's when faith goes out. But we actually know the real reason. Now, I'm sure that was a contributing reason. But in chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2, we find the reason that Jonah gives why he didn't want to go. And let me read it to you, chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, God had given a revival there, and he was not happy. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou wert a gracious God 
and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. Basically, he was saying, I don't want to go to Nineveh because I don't even want them to repent, frankly. I don't even care if they repent because I don't like those people. Now, for whatever reason, he had some very terrible personal feelings and a distaste for this people group. And uh, basically, he said, I want to be as far away as possible as I can. Now, whether it was fear, whether it was just he was tired of serving God, or whether he simply wanted to just uh, say, you know what, these people, I don't want to be around them. Whatever the case was, it was still wrong. Oliver Wendell Holmes, great Supreme Court justice at the turn of the century, said this, and listen, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all. <laughs> I love it. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all. And Jonah believed the lie. He believed the lie that he could run from God. He believed the lie that running was okay. He believed the lie that somehow I can get away from God. What a faithless act. Now let's talk about Nineveh for a moment. It was 500 miles east. If he was standing in Jerusalem and he was looking north, that's 500 miles to the right. But the Bible says he got on a ship going to Tarshish. That's 2,000 miles to the west. <laughs> he not, didn't just go to Nineveh. He went in the exact opposite direction. You want me to go to Nineveh? Okay, fine. I'm going the exact opposite way. But it wasn't just anywhere. It was Tarshish. That was basically considered the end of the world. It was southern Spain. It was right there, pretty much near the Rock of Gibraltar there. If you've ever seen the Mediterranean Sea, you notice that it kind of comes to a little point there. And uh, you go right by the Rock of Gibraltar. That's basically where it was. It was pretty much the end of the world. They didn't know much outside of that area there. He said, I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to run from God. Now, he knew God was omnipresent. He knew God could see everything, but somehow he had convinced himself that Somehow this would work. It would help him to get away from God. But like David said in Psalm 139, he said, Whither shall I go from thy presence? Thy spirit, whither shall I flee? Whatever the case, here's at least what he thought. I want to get so far from Nineveh that if God wants someone to preach to the Ninevites, he's going to have to get somebody else. It's certainly not going to be me. And so he physically, are you listening? He physically made himself unavailable. He mentally made himself unavailable. He spiritually made himself unavailable. All these little mental gymnastics, these games we play with God. You know, God, I'm not available. I'm too busy. I'm this or I'm that. All imagining that he could exempt himself from obedience. But the greatest tragedy wasn't that he was just running from God's precepts but that he was running from God's presence. Notice what it says very clearly. It says he was running from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want, frankly, anything to do with God. He just was tired of talking to God. He was tired of serving God. He was just tired of doing God things. He said, I'm done. Notice what it says in, chap in chapter 1, verse 3, however. It says he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship, just so happened, going to Tarshish. 
And something we could add here about this faithless act of his was that the devil is always happy to provide transportation if we want to get away from God. If we want to run from God, you can be sure the devil will certainly be there to help us. It says, notice, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship. He bought a ticket. None of this was just an accident. It was a calculated, faithless decision. And sometimes we justify our worldly actions as if things just fell into place. I mean, yeah, it's true, I ran away from God, but I mean, look at how things just fell into place. And we think somehow it's okay because there was a ship there. In fact, it even had space on the ship. If God didn't want me to go to Tarshish, He wouldn't have let me even go. He wouldn't have even let me found the ship. But the fact is, God lets us so often do what we do. He'll let us go out there and even hank ourselves with our own rope. Sometimes we think that we can leave a life of serving for a life of sinning, but it's only an excuse that comes to our mind. Look how happy I am. I'm the happiest I've ever been. But you need to remember that, like Jonah, that ship hasn't got to port yet, and it didn't get to port for a while. And I want you to take a note here that the devil will always make sure that you find a ship. If you're running from God this morning, if you're running from God, whether it be just in some duty, whether it be whatever it is, the devil will always make a way to find a ship. He will get us the running shoes. He'll make sure that we see a path. He'll give us a map. He'll even give us a water bottle. He'll say, run from God. It'll be the best choice you ever made. But once we step on the pathway of disobedience, notice the downward spiral. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. He went down to Joppa. Verse 3, he went down into the ship. Then verse 5, he went down in sleep. A faithless act, down, spiraling down. I remember years ago hearing a preacher say this. I'll repeat it to you. It's a great reminder, something to write down. Sin will not only take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you thought you'd ever pay. And that's what sin does. It's a downward spiral. Why was running from God a bad idea in Jonah's life? Because it is faithless. But not only is it faithless, it is spineless. I mean to tell you folks, Jonah is a girly man. This is not a man of God. This is not a mighty man of God. I tell you what, he just was spineless. God's call is often uncomfortable, but God wants us to continue anyway. You might have to lose some sleep if you're going to read and pray. You might have to give up some uh, activity if you're going to spend time with the Lord. You may have to get out of your bed or the comfort of your home and get up in a rainy Sunday to come to church. You might have to give up your dignity if you're going to invite someone to church. You may have to put off a purchase if you're going to give to the building program. I mean, serving God is sometimes uncomfortable. My brother or sister, God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. And he's coming to us and saying, don't be spineless. Get a backbone. Put a steel rod in that backbone and get some, get some character here. Get some get up and go. We fear sometimes obedience might be too costly. We think, man, I don't, I don't want to do that because it's going to cost me too much. But what we fail to recognize is that 
The price of running from God, often higher. As sometimes we see in our city homelessness, and I think any real Christian is certainly not unsympathetic to any genuine need, but honestly, the fact is, I think many times if they would put as much time and effort into a job as they are into scrounging around, they'd be a lot better off and even easier. And that's what I think about Jonah, you know, if you had just put that same effort that you put into running from God into doing His will, you would have been so much better off. But notice where we find Jonah now, verse 5, the mariners were afraid, every man cried unto his God, cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was got down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. These guys were absolute, they were praying, they were working, not Jonah. He was sleeping, but it says he was fast asleep. He was sawing logs. I mean, everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. He thinks he's on a Spanish cruise ship going to Tarshish. Man, I'm going to go to the Rock of Gibraltar. He was just sleeping away. And he doesn't even want to think about God. And when he did wake up, strangely, maybe not strangely really, because the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, had been speaking to him the whole time. And even in his backslidden condition, he had enough discernment to know he was the cause of this trouble. <laughs> he knew. You know, a lot of times we know in our heart what's right. We may put a smile on. We may be sleeping fast asleep as though we don't care. But the fact is, in our heart of heart, we know what's going on. And that's what Jonah did. He knew. He knew what was going on. He knew he was the cause. He was honest about it. But even though that's the case, some mistakenly think, well, I'm free to sin as long as I'm not a hypocrite about it. I read recently about two guys in Texas. They robbed a bank. One wore a ski mask, the other did not. As often happens, they were captured and ultimately had to stand trial. And when they were before the judge, here was what the one man said who wore a ski mask. He said, look, judge, I know robbing the bank was wrong, but at least I was not hypocritical about it. I didn't try to cover up who I was. That should be worth something. The judge sentenced both of the men to the same time in prison. The fact is, we imagine ourselves, oh, I didn't wear the mask, so I shouldn't be as guilty because at least I wasn't honest. I was honest about it. And that's what Jonah was here. He said, well, at least I told the truth. I'm a backslidden preacher. No, Jonah, you need to get obedient, not just be honest about what's going on. Verse 12, and he said unto them, take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now, um, I want you to notice this terrible choice. Now, he could have at that moment said, I am wrong with God and I repent. I need to go back to the port. I need to do what's right. I need to go to Nineveh. But he didn't do that. He is so selfish. He is so self-willed. He is so cowardly that he suggests sailor-assisted suicide. He said, here's what you do. Take me off and throw me in. He would rather die than serve God. I mean to tell you, he had gotten so far from God, he had gotten so spineless 
that he said, just kill me. I don't even want to serve God. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Amazing, isn't it? It shows how far the heart can run from God. When you get bitter, when you get angry, when you run from God, you never know how far that's going to take you. Here he was, Jonah, running from God. Have you ever, maybe when you were younger, decided you were going to take a run? And uh, I never was a great runner, but every once in a while I'd try it. But it was always fun when you ran downhill because, boy, I mean, you went so much faster. But one thing I noticed about running downhill, if you're not careful, you can, that momentum, boy, I'm telling you, then you can't hardly stop. You can crash into things. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing. He took off running. He started going downhill, and his momentum of sin just took him into a place that he could ever imagine, a place where he just felt like, I'd rather die than serve God. Four reasons why running from God is a bad idea. It's faithless. It is spineless. And number three, it is pointless. Running from God is pointless. Jonah learned you can't run from your problems. You can't run from God. I mean, when you can imagine somehow you're going to get outside of where God is, sometimes people think they can run away. Their marriage has difficulties, and so they just run out on their spouse and decide they'll find a new one. So many do that today. And the default setting of so many people, cut and run. That's my default setting, cut and run. I mean, when a job gets bad, cut and run. When a marriage gets bad, cut and run. When a situation gets bad, cut and run. When my finances are in a bad situation, cut and run. We're just going to run. Always declaring bankruptcy or doing whatever. I mean, we just decide we're just going to run. The theme of my life is run. When anything gets bad, run. That's what we're going to do, run. And there's some people that any hint of commitment, it's run. Any sense of hardship, it's run. You know, it's been said that when the, for some, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But for some others, and many others, in fact, when it gets tough, they just get going. That's all. They begin to run. But most of our problems are not without. If we could run from the problem, then that might work. But the fact is, most of our problems are within. And when you run and the problem's on the inside, you just take your problem with you. I've noticed that over the years in church. And sometimes people get bitter and for whatever reason, you know, they start no longer bear fruit. And then they run. And they think, well, I'll bear fruit somewhere else. But the fact is, if you can't bear fruit where you are, you're not going to bear fruit somewhere else. You start running. You never stop running because you take your problem with you. The epic Christian songwriter, late uh, Keith Green, wrote a chorus. You may remember it. Well, you can run to the end of the highway and not find what you're looking for. Moving won't make your troubles disappear. And you can search to the end of the highway and come back no better than you were before. To find yourself, you've got to start right here. God knows us and sees us wherever we go whether that is at the bottom of a ship or in the belly of a whale. You can't run and hide from God. Now in verse number three, it looked like maybe he was running from God. Somehow maybe it, he did accomplish what he was wanting to do. But in verse number four, a storm came. You might be able to hide from God for a little while, but it's pointless to try to hide. 
Because God may be loving, but he's no wimp. And God's not going to let anybody hide from him. I say that again. Folks, God will never let you hide. Maybe for a while. He may let you get on your ship. He may let you get halfway to your port. But God will catch up. And for some of us, God never lets me get too far out of port, I will tell you that. I, I remember reading about King David in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he numbered the people. And God just took him to task for it. I mean, other kings do this and that. Read some of those kings like Manasseh. I mean, terrible. And God forgives them. And here's old King David. All he does is number the people and God just slaps him upside the head. God kept David on a short leash. God had plans for David. And he never let him get too far. And I've often thought to myself, why, God, do you never let me get too far from you? I mean, to tell you, folks, God just watches on me. Like, it's like he's watching me the whole time. I mean, every single second. And I know that he is. Now, folks, the fact is you can run from God, but you can't hide from God. And it's pointless to try and hide. You can hide from your pastor. You can perhaps hide from your spouse. You can hide things from your children. You can hide things from your boss but you can never hide from God. Remember when you were a child, you used to play hide-and-go-seek, or maybe as a parent, you played hide-and-go-seek with your little toddler, especially. It's always fun with them. They're one-year-old, and you, tell, you say, okay. You put your hands over your face like that, and you say, where are you? Where are you? And they're laughing, and they go, oh, oh. And that's about how it is when we think we can hide from God. It's so silly. God's right there the whole time. You can't play games with God, folks. He knows our secrets better than we do. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not for the sea rod and was tempestuous against them. No matter how hard they rode, <laughs> they rode hard. Running from God. What are you doing? Running from God. Rowing hard. I'm rowing hard. Where are you going? I'm rowing hard. I'm rowing hard. Brother, why are you running from God? Why would you quit church? And why would you quit serving God? And why do you quit reading your Bible? Why do you spend your time in a stinking uh, the, the, the tavern over there? I mean, why are you doing that? Why are you running from God? I'm rowing hard, man. I'm rowing hard. Nevertheless, I'm rowing hard. That's what it's going to be. It's just going to be rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. Finally, they say, we're done rowing. Verse 15, they finally, apparently they were decent men. They didn't want to just throw Jonah, Pastor Jonah overboard. So they gave him a bit of time. Finally, they said, you know what? There's no hope here. And so they threw him overboard and chucked him off. I mean, and notice all of this was pointless because it didn't get Jonah anywhere. He still was going to serve God. And in fact, look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Why? Because as soon as they threw Jonah over the board, the sea just was quiet. I mean, it was just like calm. And they went, Woo, boy, I'm telling you one thing. It is a fact. This man was running from God. What a bad dude this guy was. Man, good thing we threw him overboard. And we know the story, how God sent a great fish to pick up Jonah. Even that fish got sick of Jonah, puked him out three days later. And, uh, I mean, he made God sick. Now he made a fish sick. 
And uh, I'm, I get sick at fish, but that fish got sick at him. And uh, there he, But notice what happened. After the sea was calm, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Now, whether they were saved or not, we don't know. But it says they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and they made vows. I mean, it's, it is possible these men got saved all at Jonah's, at God's rebuke and Jonah's disobedience. Here's the pointless thing. God ended up using Pastor Jonah whether he wanted to or not. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. I try to run from serving God and my life, my life story ends up being an illustration. You know, years ago when I was in church and not a pastor, I'd hear pastors say this illustration and this illustration. And sometimes he would they would say things about folks that were serving God. And I used to think to myself, I'll tell you one thing. I don't ever want to end up to be an illustration in the pastor's sermon. I don't want to ever live. And folks, I will tell you, you're either an illustration or a demonstration. Either an illustration or a demonstration. I don't want to ever be one of pastor's illustrations. Man, I don't want him to write a book about me. Pastor Tim, running from God. No way, brother. I don't, no, it's pointless to run because... Even when he ran, God still said, okay, I'll use your, I'll use your uh, illustration of your life to, for my glory. Why not just go out and preach? Then I can use your good works as a demonstration. It is faithless. It is spineless to run from God. It is pointless. And lastly, this morning, it is careless. It is careless, meaning dangerous. It's dangerous. To run from God. God loves me. God loves you. He wants the best for us. The most dangerous place to be in the universe. You know where it is? The most dangerous place in the world. Would it be maybe one of these evil empires like North Korea or Iran? Maybe it'd be Afghanistan or one of these places where your life, especially if you're a Christian, just it's not worth much. The fact is the most dangerous place to be in the universe is in opposition to the will of God. Benjamin Franklin, great founding father, said this, sin is not hurtful because it is forbidden. It is forbidden because it is hurtful. There is a price to pay. It, Jonah was so, he, he gave up his carefulness. He paid a great financial price. Verse number three, the Bible says he paid a fare. I'm sure it wasn't cheap to go all the way to Tarshish. I don't know how he had that money, but he decided he would take a cruise ship to go to southern Spain there and spend some days on the beach. I'm not sure. But he paid the price. But he paid more than a price for a ticket. He also paid a great spiritual price. He lost his peace. He lost his joy. He lost his power. He lost his ability to pray. He lost his ability to read the word and love the word. And there is a high price for going against the will of God. He was miserable. He was running from God. And sometimes we think, well, whatever. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody by not serving God. Oh, but Jonah was hurting others. Now, who knows what effect it had on his family? We don't know anything about his family, or his, we only know about his dad, his name. Who knows what effect it had on his dad or his family? But there is a group of people that we do know that it affected, and that was these mariners, these sailors. 
They all were put in harm's way because of Jonah's disobedience. And that's why I tell you, if you find a backslidden Christian, if you find a runner, here's a good bit of advice. Stay away from them. Stay as far away from you, them as you can. Sometimes these young men, you know, they go out there and some Christian young man decide they're going to find some good-looking girl and they'll maybe go to a bar or go to a dance or go over here. Stay away. Because if they're an unchristian, man, you know you want to stay away from them. But they might be a backslidden Christian. Stay away. Why? Because they're like a lightning rod to the loving discipline of God. And don't connect yourself to a backslidden Christian. Man, you're, gonna, you're in danger. If you find a friend in church, make sure you find a good Christian. Don't hang out with somebody that's rebelling against God. Someone's rebelling against their parents, rebelling against the youth pastor or the pastor. Don't hang out with those kind of people, folks. That's dangerous. Stay away from them. They're Jonah. And Jonah got in the ship and he caused the whole ship to be in trouble. Tell you one thing, you say, well, my actions don't hurt anybody, just myself. Tell, ask, the, ask the children of a dad who divorces his wife if the children don't suffer. Oh, yes, they do suffer. That sin of my dad affected my, my life. The sin of my mom affects my life. Our sin affects other people. One young man can run from God and he can run away from his family and end up in drugs and then his mom and dad have to bail him out and get him out of rehab. Somebody lose all their money. Folks, my sin causes so many others, people's heartaches and trouble. We may sin. We may be alone when we sin. But we never sin alone. My sin always injures somebody else. But of all the hurt that it causes, the hurt to my own spiritual life, the hurt to my family, the hurt to the kingdom of God, the, the hurt to those around me. The greatest hurt is the grieving of the heart of God. The Bible says he tried to run from the presence of God. Here is God. All his life he has given food to Jonah. He's given water to Jonah. He's given him air to breathe. He has blessed Jonah. He's kept him safe all of his life. He has given him everything he could possibly want. He said, now, I, and even his laws he gave as a great benefit to him to keep him from harm. And Jonah said, I'm done with you, God. I'm done grieving the heart of God. And I can only wonder the tragedy and the great hurt to God when we get on the slippery slope of disobedience. Are you running from God? How crazy. God is trying to bless you, not hurt you. I read the story this week of a lawyer who is trying to deliver an important paper to someone, thinking, however, that this paper was some kind of a subpoena. The intended recipient avoided the attorney at all costs. But being the persistent attorney, he would not give up. He kept trying to catch the man. He kept trying to be in his presence. Went on for 15 years until finally the man ended up in a hospital dying of cancer. He was lying there. The lawyer comes up next to him, paper in hand. The dying man finally says, I give up. I don't even care anymore. I'm dying of cancer. Go ahead, give me your subpoena. 
The lawyer looked at him and said, subpoena? What subpoena? For 15 years, I have a document here to prove you have inherited $45 million. And this whole time, you've been running from me. Crazy, isn't it? That's, a, that's about how we are with God. The whole time, God's trying to bless us and pour out His favor on us. And we're just running from God. Oh, I don't want to do that. Get away from me, God. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your love. I don't want your favor. I don't want your blessing. I don't want your nearness. I don't want those from you. I want to live what I want to do. And Jonah's disgust and hatred for those people that, and whatever other things were in his heart had let him get to the point where he would be willing to give up his closeness with God just so he could have his own way. And so I ask again this morning, if you're here this morning and maybe you're running from God, maybe you're here, but your heart's not here. Maybe you're here, but you're thinking about running. Or maybe you've not been in church for a long time, but you showed up this morning and you've been running from God. And to you and to myself and to all of us who don't do what God wants us to do, we're afraid of really selling out. We're afraid of giving it all. We're afraid of being obedient because it's hard or we just don't want to do it. To all of us this morning, I ask the question, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you, this running from God concept? Young man, you think you're going to run from your parents? You think you're going to run from God? You think you can just go off and do whatever you want to do and somehow it's going to be okay? How's that working out for you? You'd say, well, I'm happy. Maybe now. But the storm hasn't hit yet. You're just on the ship, that's all. The storm hasn't come. It's about ready to hit. And you're going to endanger not only your own life, but the life of those around you. You're going to grieve the heart of God, all because you've got something in your mind that it, this is too hard. The whole time God's been chasing you down, trying to give us this great inheritance. How's it going for you? Runner? Runner? How's it going for you this morning? Runner? Here's a Runner? There's a runner coming. People visit church. I look them in the eye and sometimes I wonder, are you a runner or are you a comer? Are you here to serve or are you here to run? Are you here to do something for God or are you just going to bolt the first time something doesn't fit your fancy? First time the pastor says something or doesn't say something or doesn't meet your expectations somehow, you run. I'm going to run. Are you a runner? Are you a stayer? Are you a runner? Or are you a doer? Are you a runner? What am I doing in life? I'm going to stay focused on the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. We sang a few moments ago. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed. His blessings are on me. Yes. Thank God. And you know the amazing thing is God is so incredible that even after Jonah thumbed his nose at God, told him, I don't care what you've done for me, I'm going the exact opposite way you told me to go. Even after all that time, God is in the business of recovering missionaries. He said, you don't know it, but you're going to be an illustration, Jonah. Now, I wish you could have been a demonstration, but now you're going to be an illustration. And for all these years, God has used Jonah to remind us of his grace. I want to close this morning with one of my favorite poems. 
I love this poem. I've said it a few times over the years. George MacDonald wrote it. I said, let me walk in the field. And God said, nah, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the sky is black. There is nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said, there is sin. I said, but the air is thick and fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yes, but souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, but I shall miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered me, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given and he said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the fields, then set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? And then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. And to some this morning, I know the path seems so hard, but God's calling you to an obedient life. Don't be a runner. Don't be a runner. It's not going to work out. You say, well, it's my choice. Yes, it is your choice. But the consequences are not your choice, and you will have them. Don't run from God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.